Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Happy New Year. Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 121. I hope everybody's New Year is off to a great start out there. Uh, It is off to a great start over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. I hope everybody had a good Christmas holiday season. Uh, And again, happiest of New Year wishes from all of us here at the Drum Shuffle to all of you. Uh, I really do hope that 2021 turns out to be a much better year for all of us. Uh, That is my sincere hope. Hey, we've got a great episode for you today. I am going to be joined by Eric Miko Findlay uh, of the band Sea Haven right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned in our intro, we're going to be joined by a uh, just a fantastic young drummer, and we really pride ourselves over here at the Drum Shuffle uh, to bring you uh, interviews with guys that you may not be familiar with. And uh, I'm here to tell you right now, this is one talented young man. Uh, he formed his band, Sea Haven, uh, all the way back to when he was in middle school. And there are a lot of parallels between Eric Miko Finley and myself um, in that he's still playing in the band that he formed as a beginning musician uh, years ago. And they have done some tremendous work. They've got a new EP that they put out in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, we have some talks around that. But if you're not familiar with Eric's playing, I want to get you hip to him. 
Uh, I know you're going to get a lot out of this and you're really going to enjoy this interview as I did. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Eric Miko Finley. Hey, good afternoon, Eric. How's it going, brother? Good, Jamie. How are you? Man, I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, trying to get ready for Christmas here. Uh, how uh, how are things in sunny L.A. today? It is uh, sunny today. It's been a great December uh, so far. Only thing I can knock is that uh, we're on a somewhat of a tight lockdown again. Uh, we've had a spike and all that stuff, so I've been inside a bit more than usual. Uh but think things are going well, man. Can't complain. That's good, man. You know, I uh, I have only had the opportunity to be in Southern California at Christmas time once, and I, I just remember, you know, being a Kentucky guy. I, I'll just never forget like it being eighty degrees and sunny, you know, a week before Christmas. I was like, this, this, you know, how do these people even know it's Christmas, right? <laughs> It's just so different. Pretty amazing. Yeah, man. It's pretty amazing. It is amazing. Well, listen, hey, thanks for taking time, you know, right here before Christmas to come on the drum shuffle. We appreciate it. Um, For our listeners that aren't familiar with you, um, I think it's safe to say you're not yet a household name in the drumming community. Um, Give us a little bit of your. Not quite, but we're we're trying to change (laughs) that here. So. Yeah. Give us a little bit of your background. How did you first come into um, drumming and, and music and, and all that good stuff? It, uh, like all of us, I assume, it, it just kind of happens organically. It's, it's not something you choose. You are kind of born like this, you know? Uh, a young kid watching MTV when they still played music videos, I'd always kind of gravitate towards like the more rocky styled stuff uh growing up in the house my dad's a big classic rock fan and we play like live albums from ccr and queen and the eagles so like that live rock sound was like embedded in me since childhood yeah then around like i think middle school you start making friends and you kind of find your click and my buddies and i would just bond over music and stuff like that. And I started playing guitar around like 11 or 12 years old. My mom got me like a Fender pack from Guitar Center. That's like the basic Squire with a three foot cord and like a 10 watt Fender amp, like, you know, the basic thing. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of like started the, the general interest in music. And I've always kind of had a nag for drums, like jamming with the neighborhood kids in the garage. I'd always like kind of wind up on the drum kit but I was always a guitar player, so I never took it that seriously. But uh, it was a pretty organic, just like kids growing up playing music. And we started a project called Sea Haven in 2009 when we were about seniors in high school. And we got a little record label to put it out, a label called Creator Destructor out of uh, the Bay Area in California. And it kind of just snowballed from there, and we started getting smaller tours that turned into medium-sized tours to larger tours. And it went from basements and backyards to, you know, small bar type clubs to even like house of blues type things. And then we were able to go overseas and we've played as far as San Jose, Costa Rica. And, uh, it's been about a decade since we're still pushing it along. It's, uh, 
been a dream come true in a sense, but at the same time, it's like, it's just starting. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, sure. Sure. Like, well, I, well, I mean, and we were just kind of having a pre-chat, you know, there's a lot of similarities between, you know, your story and my own story. So I kind of have a soft spot in my heart, you know, but um, you actually started out with with these group of guys. You all have been friends since childhood. But when you started the band, you were playing guitar in the band and you actually had to audition to be the drummer of your own band is 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 that the story at the time it didn't seem so ridiculous but <laughs> talking about it now it's like pretty darn silly but yeah i was i was i was the bassist in the band okay uh, okay I, rem I remember when the band started i wanted to play drums because at that point i was like 16 or 17 i already had my first kit i had kind of not plateaued with guitar, but you know, you're young, you're trying new things. So I started focusing on playing drums a little bit more by no means that I have like the, the know with all to like do rudiments. I like avoided that like yeah, the sure. plague for years sure. and I, from, from day one, it's like, do your rudiments. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like eat your Wheaties. Like I, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> if, if I would have taken rudiments as seriously as I do back then, I, I might be a household name by now, to be honest, but I was kind of late to the game, but uh, the original drummer in our band was actually the security guard at our high school. Oh, wow. Who was a decade older than us, and he played in a local South Bay hardcore band called Final Fight. And if you grew up in the beach cities by California, in California, and uh, you listened to hardcore punk music, you knew Final Fight. They're like a household name in our neighborhood. Okay. And we knew him because we loved his band and because we liked doing music as kids, we would talk to him and he actually became a fan of our singers, like first solo project that he did. So this 26 year old man would be coming to like our local shows, watching my singer do his acoustic stuff. And when we started Sea Haven, we're like, Oh, we want to get like a good, good drummer. Like let's ask James. So James started playing drums for us. We did our first EP with him. And within the first year of the band, we started picking up some tours and it was kind of directly through James. Like he was telling his buddies who had been touring for years, like, hey, I'm in a new band, Seahaven, like check us out. And we started picking up some stuff and we started touring a bit and it quickly got to the point where he had realized like, I'm a little bit older than you guys. I'm in a different spot in my life. He ended up getting married and like moving to Hawaii to surf and do that whole thing. Okay. So it, it left us in need of a drummer. So we went to MySpace, and this is in the MySpace days, and we pretty much posted saying, hey, guys, we're looking for a new drummer. Film yourself playing one of our songs and email it to Seahaven Drummer Tryout or something like that at <laughs> yahoo.com. Right. And I remember weeks weeks went by, and we kept getting – we got like maybe a dozen submissions. Most drummer brain kind of knew to look for. And I really wasn't impressed with anybody, and I thought, I'm like, shit, I'm going to do this myself. So I filmed myself playing along to our hardest song on the EP and I sent it to the drummer James. I said, yo, I'm going to take your spot. What do you think of this? <laughs> and he immediately called me and was like, yo, dude, like send it, like you killed it. And I emailed it to the band and it took everybody by surprise. Like, Oh, like Eric can kind of play drums. Like this, this could work. It's a little bit of hesitancy there, but, uh, that's how I entered into the touring world drumming and, 
I didn't have like any real background in drumming besides just like jamming on the drummer's kit when we would switch instruments, messing around or like playing along to Nirvana's Nevermind in my garage when I wanted to like blow some steam off. I got as far as my like drumming went. Yeah. And so I immediately entered into the touring world and being around other drummers and having to record and play to click and uh, it was a rough process, but also really exciting. And like, I caught that bug really early where like, even though I didn't feel so great, I had that gusto in me and that drive to like, want to be great and like, be like the rock in the band. Cause you know, we're the drummers, you know? Oh yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of how it started off for me. And, uh, 10 years later, I'm now 28. Uh, and this is what I think about. This is what I do nonstop this is how i want to pay my bills this is how i want to support a family and yeah that's kind of where i'm at right now well so literally just kind of you know a, a leap of faith on your part to to say to your bandmates hey i, I really want to do this and i think it it shows your seriousness about switching instruments in your band um but that that's a big a, a pretty big leap to say Hey, you know, I, I'm still fairly new on this instrument that I love, the drums. Um, yet I think I can do it at a professional level. And, and you know, saying to your bandmates, "I'm serious about this." Um, that's a pretty big leap, wouldn't you say? I I think so. I mean, I don't I don't just straight up condone. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you play guitar, drop it and try drums. Uh, but I I had that fire in me and drums has always been an interest, but drums is a hard instrument to play as a kid. Like no parent wants, or <laughs> most parents don't want their kid learning to play drums. Yeah. Learning to play drums isn't like the prettiest sounding thing, you know? Yeah. So, so it's a hard thing to get into and I've, it's something I'd always had interest in. So, the fact that I was in a, a band in its early touring stages early in its career. And I had like an opportunity to like go to the big bad drums. Like I had to take it. Yeah. Like I, there was no option for me. Like I, I had to do it. Well, I mean, I get it. I mean, I do. I just, you, you know, I, I, the first thought that I had when you told me that was, wow, the balls on that guy, you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it, 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 I mean, it takes some chutzpah for sure to, you know, um, to make your bandmates take you seriously in that, you know, I, I just think back to my younger days, had I said to my bandmates, yeah, I'm giving up the drums. I want to be the guitarist. They would have been like, well, it's not going to be in this band. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's what, that's what they said to me. That was the initial conversation. They're like, buzz off, dude, like, yeah. stick to the bass. Right. Right. You know? Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I think it's cool that it's worked out, you know, and I've checked out some of your videos that you've got out there on the net. And the thing that struck me, you know, I, immediately, you know, and, and I'm being honest, I was not familiar with, with your band or with your playing. But when I checked it out, I was like, oh, wow, here's a really creative young drummer who's got some chops, you know, and to come from that you know, self-taught school and to have, um, you know, some very um, intricate parts in your songs that are very creative as well, I, I think maybe can only come from that self-taught school, maybe. I, I don't know. Does that make any sense? 
I, I think so. Uh, maybe because there's not like things that have distracted me. Like I have a buddy who went to Musicians Institute to play bass and he says a part of him wishes he didn't go because he learned too much to the point where it like squashed his like natural creative ability yeah. to just like play what flowed. And not that I think about that often. Cause like I kind of had a stint where I thought I was going to go there for school, but like I find something cool about like your playing style, like literally just comes from like what you feel without any like, technical training behind it, which is something I really, really, really respect. And if I can go back in time, I might have taken a more technical route just so I can be at a further spot in my like knowledge of drums and the way I play. But uh, everything you just said was uh, really complimentary. I really appreciate that. But the sounds you were hearing is just the efforts of us in a room, the band in a room, just kind of going with what's natural and like playing off of the other band members and knowing how to play off of the band members. Cause it's a very specific thing with my group of guys. And I've done work with other bands and for young drummers who are trying to get out there and like get their word out and play for multiple people, you'll quickly learn that it's not the same treatment to every artist you work for or you're playing with. It's a very yeah. thing. It's a very fine thing. You got to tune in. And these guys I've been playing with, I met our singer when I was three I met our guitarist when I was five and I met our bass player at local shows at like the co-rec hall in like early middle school. So we have like this, this really, really like thicker than thieves type of bond just as friends and through music to where like, if you listen to the Sea Haven record, whether listening to the drumming or just the music in general, that's like the efforts of like 25 plus years of friendship and just knowing someone else and how they do music and how their brain works. So I'd have to put myself in our singer songwriter's brain and kind of see what he wants me to do and like bounce off of his vocals and his chords and his style of songwriting. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's no, it's no easy task, but with, with, with Sea Haven, it was, it was very much so like a group drum effort. I'd, I'd play something. They'd be like, cool, but this conflicts with the vocals. So what if we did this? So we would, really pick apart and fine tune the drum parts to like kind of have like little moments of sparkle, like little fills or little intricacies that, you know, add some flavor yeah, and stuff like that. And I'm pretty proud with the drums that we came up on, but uh, yeah. Well, I, it's, it's very good stuff. It's, it's um, I, I don't know a better way to describe it, but to say it's very songwriter um, drumming, you know, it, it does fit, it fits perfectly within the construct of the songs, but you hit on something in there that, that, you know, really resonates with me, you know, the the band that I've been, um, associated with the longest, of course, is Funnel and, you know, Funnel was, you know, put together in the late nineties but the members of that band had been playing together since, you know, early high school times, you know, and, uh, you know, I've played in a bunch of other bands since then. But every time I get in a room with those guys, there is a telepathy that exists between us because we grew up and learned how to be a band or be in a band 
together. So, I, you know, I, I don't know if you can add something to that, but I've tried to explain it to people. The reason why these bands that grow up together, that have been together for so long, you know, like a Van Halen, like an Aerosmith, you know, they've played together so long. If you take any one of those elements out of the band and replace it with even, you know, a virtuoso member, it's never the same because there there's just something that is a sum of all parts. Does that make sense? I, I mean, you nailed it on the head. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Okay. And it, that is a hard thing to try to explain or relate to people. Cause I have some buddies who like obviously grew up playing in bands, but never had like a band band, but they more so just like was on like drum line in high school. Like, played a couple local gigs and then went straight to like Berkeley college of music and got a degree. And from there entered into the bus touring world for pop gigs and was always like a hired gun type of deal, which is great. And a, and a big goal of mine to reach, but not that they'll ask me like, why don't you try to do something else? Or if you have some time off, why don't you go play for somebody else? And it's hard to explain that. Like it's, the type of like reward and satisfaction you get out of playing with like your day one homies. <laughs> right. It's different to like enter a room with a bunch of people you don't know and like literally just have as much fun. I'm not saying it can't happen and it has happened for me. You'll get an audition and get a gig where like you're pleasantly taken back. Like, Oh wow. Like I really like these guys. Like this kind of reminds me of my band and it makes me miss my other band. But uh, it's, it's a bond that, you, you can't describe it. If you know it, you know it. And it's something I'm in, incredibly thankful for. Yeah, man, for sure. Well, you know, I, I, I had one of those auditions once, you know, where you're auditioning for a bus touring pop act. And, you know, my bass player from Funnel actually drove me to the audition. It was, you know, like a five-hour drive away. And he actually drove right. me to the audition. I mean, that's how supportive those guys were. And, you know, I went into the room with a bunch of people I'd never seen before. And obviously I bombed the audition, you know, because I didn't get the gig. Um, but it was so uncomfortable to me because they were speaking a language that I had never spoken before. You, you know what I'm saying? Like I had I had only known the relationship amongst, you know, my buddies and you know, not being classically trained, it was really hard for me. Now, obviously, over time, you get some of those chops and, and abilities to, to walk into a room full of strangers. But there's just something to be said about learning how to be a part of a band with the same group of guys from a young age. And, and I just, you know, maybe I'm putting too fine a point on that, but I think it's a very valid point. Jamie, we're cut from the same cloth, and I could not agree with you more. <laughs> well, I, that's the first time today anybody's agreed with me, so I'm I'm all I'm, <laughs> I'm all for it, brother. You can always give me a call. Yeah, for sure, uh, man. Well, I've got your number now, so you know, just you can be my uh, emotional support drummer. How's that? Anytime, uh, anytime, brother. Uh, all right, fantastic. I'll return the favor. Well. So let's let's talk a little bit about Sea Haven um, and you know kind of the current situation in the world. I guess um, now, 
obviously I try to avoid politics on, uh, you know, on a drumming podcast, but you mentioned that you guys are in another lockdown now. I know you all put out a new record in 2020 um, and had some really big touring plans. And obviously all that got, you know, put on hold due to COVID. Um, I, where are you guys at right now? Are you really kind of honing in on when everybody is vaccinated and the world opens back up to touring or, or what are you guys, how have you spent 2020 is what I'm asking. Okay. Uh, good question. Uh, the record came out one month ago today, actually. Oh, okay. Today's the month anniversary. It's called Halo of Hurt. It's on Pure Noise Records. Um, but, uh, Beginning of 2021, about a year ago, or beginning of 2020, I'm sorry, uh, we had just finished pre-production and we were set to go to a recording studio in Omaha called Another Recording Company. And it's a studio owned by the guys behind the indie group Bright Eyes. It's Connor Oberst and um, Mike Mogus. Okay, they have sure. like, their own yeah. personal studio. And it's like a million dollar crazy gnarly studio. Uh so we flew out there for three weeks uh, uh, on Valentine's Day, uh, much to the disdain of the girlfriends in the band. But, you know, band comes first. Uh, <laughs> I'm, sure you, you, I'm sure you've said that a few times. But flew out on Valentine's Day, recorded for three weeks. And as we were recording is when the murmurs of COVID started coming up. And I remember seeing, like, first confirmed case in L.A. And I was like, oh, geez, thank God I'm in Omaha. Then a couple of days later, it's like six confirmed cases in Omaha. And we were like, what is this thing happening? Like, why is this on the news so much? It was such a new, new thing. Yeah. We cut, we cut the record, flew home in early March. And a week later, the entire world shut down. So like we just cut the record in time and spent the first month or two of quarantine in a slight depressive state, a little anxious and mixing at the same time. So it was a fun mix of being creative and excited about your new music and then dealing with something the world hasn't seen in a hundred years. Well, so we were able to make, I, I, I hate to uh, interrupt, but that begs the question, you know, I, I, and I'm sure the conversations were going on during all this time. Hey, we've, you know, we've put in the effort to record this record. We're now mixing it oh God, what are we going to do? I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what, what we're going to do with so much <laughs> uncertainty in the future. I mean, I've, we, we've held our own and done okay so far. I'm proud of what we've been able to come up with. But uh, the, uh, b before COVID, the plan was we'll put out the record and mind you, quick backstory, Sea Haven kind of went dark in 2016. We were promising a new record and, uh, kind of hit a wall creatively and decided to like take a break. And then three years flew by. We all assumed new positions in life and got girlfriends and apartments and cars. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of sure. grew up a little bit and, uh, years flew by and we ended up coming back as a band as kind of a surprise. And we had this kind of elaborate deal of like, we're going to put out a record, surprise our fans and then do like a touring circuit, see how it goes, go overseas, do some hometown stuff, hit the States. And that was very much so put on hold as soon as that COVID thing happened. So we quickly had to like reset and be like, wait, so how, how do we keep this going now without playing? Cause we're, we're a touring band. That's what we do, you know? Yeah. 
but uh, we ended up mixing remotely with a guy named Ken Andrews, who's a known dude out of L.A., just emailing back and forth, mix after mix, and came to a conclusion. And this is when the quarantine got, like, very, very serious, and we were unsure if it was even worth putting out a record while coronavirus was a thing. And about two months of, like, just sitting around on Mastered Files went by, and I remember being, like, in the park with our singer being like, yo, we got to get this out, man. Like, the really rough times. Everybody's on their phones. People need music now more than anything else. Let's get it out and let it grow. So by the time we can start touring, we have, like, a little bit of a foundation uh, to stand on, and that's kind of what we're in the middle in right now. We're a month after its release. We got some plans in the near future i can't touch that on yet because i'm still solidifying them but some stuff to give people some stamina or um you know give people something to hold on to and listen to and watch or until we can tour again but yeah it's it's, it's been rough without being able to actively get out and perform well it's going to be interesting for me um, I, you know, on the sidelines to see, um, how this works out for everybody. And you guys are either going to be geniuses for putting music out, you know, in November of the pandemic year, right? Yep. Um, because you got out ahead of everything else because I think every band on earth, every artist on earth, will have new music out in 21 because no touring, everybody locked up in the studio. They've been recording all year, right? So there's going to be so many releases next year. So it's either going to work out great in that, hey, we got it out first and we're ready to go tour on what we've already put out um, or it's going to be lost in the shuffle. And I don't know what the right call is yet. And I think only, only you know, history will tell us what the right call was in terms of new releases. That was a big conversation we had because we were unsure if it was best to do it now or wait. And I remember talking to the label and they said, if you guys want to get it, I, they're, they're very much so do what you guys want to do, which is why I love Pure Noise Records. They're very much like a band label, like do what you guys want as artists, which is something we we need to operate. But, uh, they were like, you can wait till the pandemic's over or get it out now. We don't suggest putting it out in January because everybody's dropping in January. So that's what you just said was an exact conversation I had was let's get it out towards the end of the year, towards the end of the cycle, quarter four, and sit on it for a bit. And while everybody's blowing up the internet with releases in the new year, we'll be writing for the next one. Yeah. And we haven't started anything yet, but that's just like the game plan. Like get it out and start over again. So that's why we put it out now just because I know 2021 is going to be a big year for all that. And I'm assuming touring's coming back. My team tells me uh, summer at the earliest, likely fall before like touring's actually happening. So yeah, I, I can see a lot of artists dropping in January, February, letting it simmer for a few months and then tour announcements start popping up for later in the year. Yep. I, I, th I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, the music business um, has changed a whole lot since I was, you know, really releasing a lot of stuff and had a band that was, you know, trying to get the major label deal and, and all those things. You know, that was 20 something years ago. But with all of that being said, you know, I jokingly say on this podcast all the time, the good news is 
anybody can make a record today. The bad news is anybody can make a record today, right? (laughs) It's, I say it all the time. You know, you, you have artists like Billie Eilish. Her first record was recorded in her bedroom, you know, with her brother producing and engineering it. And it's amazing. Good for her, man. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, and it's, that was literally a home recording, you know, and you have other folks that spend millions of dollars going into, you know, some big, huge studio. They put out a record, you know, but it all gets lost in, in the, in the shuffle nowadays. You have to really know where to go look to find good music. It's hard. And 2021 is going to be especially hard because you're competing against literally everyone. Yep. Very, very saturated market. And it's something that I love. I find new music that I love every single day. And it's because kids are able to sit at home with a MacBook and an interface and make cool stuff. Yeah. And, and I appreciate all different types of music, whether it's some SoundCloud thing or some like thrashy garage band type of thing. But uh, I think it's amazing. And it makes me wonder, like, how many bands got lost back in the 70s and 80s just because Instagram wasn't a thing then? Like, what great bands were in garages that would have been one of the Hall of Famers that were never heard outside of their garage for just the the reason of like lack of technology at the time. I always think about that. Yeah. Well, and how like great, grateful I am that technology like lets people express themselves and put out their music to share with the world. And you can put up a song here in California and it can be heard in Shanghai within 30 seconds. Like that's so cool to me. Yeah, it is cool. Um, but I think, you know, you, to your point, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, I mean, seriously, like established bands are still putting out music and none of their fans ever hear it. You know, I mean, I all the time and, I, you know, I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, but a band that was huge in the 70s and 80s that still tour, right? Um, I hear fans say all the time, hmm, what's this song they're playing at the show? Well, it's on the record they just released six weeks ago. Oh, they still put out records? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I've been there. You know, so it's it's pretty amazing to me how different the industry is. And listen, man, I, I'm telling you right now, you've got a great band. I really dig what I'm hearing, um, but I would not trade places with you today. I just wouldn't. It's so much harder now. And I, I don't want to turn this in a, into one of those get off my lawn moments by Jamie, but it's so (laughs) much harder these days. And I know that you guys started out pretty much doing the DIY thing, you know, um, you know, do it yourself touring. Talk to me a little bit uh, about that. If you don't mind changing directions here. No, not a problem, man. Uh, long story short, we acquired a 1997 Econoline E350 for $1,600 back in 2010. The band members split it by four. And uh, I knew if we were to tour, we needed a means of transportation. Of course, everybody can take their own car and just caravan throughout the country. That's not so realistic, but we got a van for cheap off of Craigslist and I booked half of our first tour and 
it was not successful by, by any means. I remember Googling like venues in Grants Pass, Oregon. If you've never heard of Grants Pass, I don't blame you because it's a really small town. But I, I would like send send messages to like little record stores or like head shop type places being like, hi, we're playing in a band. We're on tour. Can we play here? And would try to figure out some sort of door deal where you charge 10 bucks for a ticket. We'll take two off of each ticket, this and that. And for the record, that show I booked in Grants Pass, not one person showed up, but we were so eager and excited just to play in a different state. We got up on stage and played to the little old lady who owned the head shop as she sat there and like clapped and smiled along. Nice. And uh, I, I think that man. drive is something you need. Yeah. It, at that young age, in that early stage of touring, you can't show up to a venue and be like, when nobody's here and start pouting and get in and leave that you, you can't think like that. It, it needs to be the opposite and you can try to force it. But for us, like we, we were genuinely like, so thrilled to just be with our instruments fresh out of high school in a van with all the homies driving throughout the States playing. Uh, the only thing it did was leave, leaving me wanted more and to do better. So that drive and that fire was always there. And it, the first year or two was making friends with bands at local shows. And then a month later they'd hit us up and be like, Hey, we're playing in LA. Like, do you guys want to jump on the show? And it's a big networking game. So whenever I talk to young drummers or young musicians that want to enter the touring world, it's really big on networking and being a good person, a reliable person, and keeping in contact with friends uh, throughout the States. Because that's how you form your network, and that's how touring kind of started for us to the point where uh, I remember I was in my first semester of community college, about a year into the band's career, and I was taking my very first final and I got a text from our singer saying, we just booked our first U.S. tour. And I got up, turned in the paper incomplete, walked out, and I had never gone back since. <laughs> and I left, I left college. I left college for a backyard basement tour nice. throughout the States. And we didn't make any money. We lost a lot of money. I had... I remember I routed out how long the drives would be and did the math on how much gas would cost. And I was like, all right, guys, everybody put 500 bucks in the pot. This is going to be our gas fund. And our first stop was in Las Vegas. And we played in like the back room of a VFW hall to like 15 kids. And the whole tour was kind of like that. And it was so enthralling. And we made so many friends and what I'm trying to say is like, it, it doesn't always come easy. And it's not like the most preferred situation. Sure as hell, we'd like to have made money, but we wanted it so bad and we wanted to travel and play music and meet people that we like booked our own tour in basements and backyards throughout the States. And what that did is it snowballed and led us to meeting new people that got us on a tour that was a step up. We were almost not losing money. And then it got to the point where we were just about breaking even. And it finally got to that tipping point a couple of years later where we were going off of our first LP in like 2012 and we were supporting some bands that had kind of a buzz in like the, in like the little scene that we were in to where we were selling a few t-shirts tonight and a few records to the point we were making enough money to like pay for our gas and get us in a motel six every other night and change the oil and put new tires on the van. And it just kind of went 
from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I think it's a really important place to come from and any young listener out there listening, uh, have your buddies tune into this. Like it's, if, if you got the gusto and you got the will put a couple bucks in the pot for gas and like hit the road, play well, be good people and network. And you will see some results come out of that. For sure, man. I mean, that's wow. I mean, that's the, that's what rock and roll dreams are made of right there. It, it is, really is. It really is. You know, and you know, I, my early life, you know, with funnel, it was very much the same. I think our van was a 1987, you know, Plymouth town and country, you know, I, I mean, oh, nice. yeah. And, classic. you know, and when you buy those things, you know, you buy your first shitty van, um, you'd better be buddies with a mechanic, you know, somebody that can keep it running for you. Um, and you just go out and because if you wait for somebody to pay you to go do it, you're going to wait forever. It's it's called paying dues. You got to put in the work. And man, I have a hell of a lot of respect for anybody that does it the way you guys have done it. So congrats, man. That's awesome. Yeah, the way we've done it, we're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Well, you know, I, I, I think... I want to key in on one thing that you said in there and and let's expound on it just a little bit. You'll find that with my show, I go down every single rabbit hole I find, but you said, you know, be a good person, be a reliable person. Now, so the advice I'm going to, you know, tack on to what you said to the young listeners, Hey, everybody throw in money, get out on the road. But, you know, if you confirm, hey, I'll be in Grants Pass, Oregon on Wednesday afternoon at five o'clock, don't go rolling in at five fifteen. You know, you you gotta you gotta be that good person. You gotta do what you say you're gonna do. And if you tell somebody, hey, I'll call you next week to talk about a show, call them. You know, you you gotta be responsible. And that's what happens to so many young bands, is they're that's what separates the men from the boys, so to speak. And the women from the girls is if you tell somebody you're going to do something, you got to then do it. Right. Absolutely. You know, um, I've just seen so many bands implode and I can't tell you how many times we have done a gig swap with another band, you know, back in the day, it was like, Hey, we'll have you guys down here to Lexington to open up for us. And then we want to come to your hometown of, you know, Columbus, Ohio and open for you. And we always went through with our end of the deal. And so many times it just never panned out that we got the return favor. And those bands did not last. Funnel is still releasing music to this day. I wonder why. Hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if you... If you tell somebody you're going to do something for them, by God, you do it. Yep. You know, so. And, and, word, and word, word spreads quick in whatever subgenre or, or scene your band is in. If you're showing up for the first day of a tour two hours late, half the band members are drunk and you're like fumbling to get your shit together. That's an awful first impression. And I guarantee if you show up on the first day like that, you're likely going to be like that on the rest of the tour and word's going to spread. And you might have a future tour opportunity that will be passed on you because the booking agents called each other and said, eh, I don't know about these guys. Like they were drunk the whole time and 
were super late, leaving their gear behind and just, they were a mess. They were unprofessional. People don't want to be on tour like that, especially when you're the headlining act. Yeah. The bands under you are representing you. They're part of your traveling caravan. And when they're like misrepresenting your tour like that, it's just simply bad business. And you, you can't be like that even from the early stages. And I know tour can seem like a party and it is in a respect. I mean, go, go out there, have fun, but your first thought is tour should be your time to shine. It should be your time to represent your band and your brand and show what you do. And you can't take that for granted and word spreads quick. And it's really hard to take back a bad first impression if you screw things up the first time around. So advice I have is tour is work. Luckily music is fun. So that work is fun. And uh, you got to take it seriously from the get go and treat it professionally as, or as professional as you, you can comprehend. Yeah, man, that, those, you know, from your lips to God's ears, as we say down here in the <laughs> South, you know, it's, um, and, and you know, something interesting, you know, to me, I've always worked a day job, you know, like I never, you know, I never went balls to the wall and said, yeah, I'm just, you know, quitting the day job. I'm going to be a drummer for a living. I never had the guts to do it. Um, but the guys that I work with now, you know, in a professional setting, when we talk about, you know, some of the tours, uh, touring that I did back in the day, they all have, you know, kind of what they've seen in TV shows and movies. Like it's just this big rolling party and everybody's, you know, drunk all the time and, you know, strippers and, you know, just crazy wild stories. And I was like, dude, my days of touring, like the excitement was when we got to, you know, the second fill up of the day, buying a pound of, you know, bologna and, and cheese and everybody got a sandwich. <laughs> you know, that was like the excitement of the day is when I got to eat, um, you That's know, the reality of it, man. And you got to embrace it and you got to love it. Yeah. But, you know, it's um, if you're not on a bus tour, you're probably not getting catering or anything like that. Or if you're lucky, you know, you get to your show and they've got a couple of bags of Tostitos and maybe a block of Velveeta backstage. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Yeah. You know. But the, these DIY upbringings we both have done, I feel will really make you appreciate when you do get to the point of the luxuries of being on a tour bus and having someone drive for you versus you driving yourself and having people load in your gear and having catering and all that. It's something that when I do experience that, I wholeheartedly thank God for that opportunity because of where we came from with starting with the exact opposite and working your way up to that versus not saying this is a bad thing, but someone who just went to school and was friends with the music director and just landed some like, high profile gig off the bat. Like, not that I don't respect that, but I kind of look back and go like, we, we come from different places. So if I meet a drummer that made it to the point where they started from like a place we started and ended up somewhere like where they're at, like that is the dream. If yeah. you ask me like money, monetary stuff aside to like start from like little grains of sand like that and then grow into a place of like professionalism and like comfort like that is what I consider the dream when it comes to drumming and playing professionally. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's the old saying, you can't be a starving artist if you never starved, right? I mean, it's exactly, uh, you know, the the starving part means something in there. So, but yeah, man, you guys, you guys are are definitely doing it the right way, man. And I'm I'm glad to see the success that you're having. So I, I would be remiss if we didn't, you know, rewind all the way back to the beginning for just a minute. But Talk yeah. to me about some of your, you know, influences and, and drumming heroes. Uh, you mentioned Nirvana in there, so I'm assuming you grew up listening to Dave Grohl. You're, you're quite a bit younger than me is the reason I'm asking. You know, who were the guys that really turned your crank and, and made you aspire to be a better drummer? Uh, you nailed it on the head with Dave. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, there was like an after school guitar class, which was one of the English teachers who organized like a guitar jam slash lesson type of thing, like every Monday after school. And he was like a big nineties kind of guy. So he would teach us how to play Nirvana songs and smashing pumpkin songs and stuff like that. And I immediately gravitated towards Nirvana's Nevermind. And it's still, my, I think it's my favorite album ever. If I had to choose one, which is difficult. Yeah. But, uh, I knew how to play all of Kurt's guitar parts on that record. And when I got my first kit a few years later, the first thing I did was put on Nevermind and play along to Dave part, Dave's parts. So that style of like hard hitting rock drumming is like my foundation. Okay. And you got, and you got to consider at that time when I started really focusing and listening to drums. This was like 2006, 2007. So the bands that were relevant then that I remember really loving their drummers would be like Brandon from a band called The Used, uh, Aaron from Under Oath, Jordan from As They Lay Dying. Like these are like bands you'd see on Warp Tour. Yeah. And these are drummers who are still playing professionally today. Uh, like Aaron from Under Oath had a stint with Paramore for a bit. Brandon from The Used now plays for Rancid full-time, which is one of the coolest gigs I think you can ever get. And so those are like guys that like, I remember I would sit back, listen to records and like really think about their drumming and how they played. And that's what's inspired me from like the get-go. And it became later in life that I started appreciating people like Steve Gadd and I'd say he's one of my favorites right now. Uh, I really, really love Abe Cunningham from Deftones. Yeah. He's probably my, my, my favorite drummer at the moment. He does a really good job at like simple, like being tasteful yet simple. He's, he's a great drummer. He does some wacky, wacky, cool, creative stuff, but it's like not a lot of notes happening. He's not going apeshit on the kit. It's just very tasteful simplicity. So I like that guy a lot. Uh, there's a, a female group out of LA called Warpaint, and they have an Australian drummer named Stella. And if you haven't heard of her, I'd YouTube or look her up. She is one of the most tasteful drummers I've ever seen. And uh, whenever I feel like lack of inspiration and like the writing process with the band, I'll put on Warpaint records or Deftones records and really hone in those drumming parts. And those are some of the biggest inspirations I have. And aside from that, just the Instagram drummers that are out there. Uh, I follow so many accounts on my personal account and I have drummers who I don't even know if they play in a band. I don't even know if they're a teacher. I just go to their account and they have these (laughs) short 15, 20 second clips of them 
playing what they play, their style of drumming, some super intricate, some super simple, and that shit inspires me on a day-to-day basis. I'll be like sitting on my couch, see a 15-second Instagram clip, and run to my guest room, pick up my sticks, and I start working on something like... That's one of my favorite things about the internet these days is having that. So, yeah, man, it's the it's, inspiration comes from everywhere. Yeah, man, it's it's cool, and you know, I find myself guilty of the same thing. You know, I follow, you know, like I'll get on Instagram and it's just all drums. It's all those, you know, like you say, fifteen twenty second clips, and I have to be mindful to not um, compare myself to that. You know, it's, it's cool to steal a lick or a chop or whatever, but you know, sometimes I have to unplug from that as well because it points out, you know, every inadequacy of my playing on a daily basis. Absolutely. And you got to remind yourself if someone's posting something on their Instagram, it's likely something incredibly impressive. So whenever I'm watching something gnarly, I kind of sit back and look like, all right, this guy's like, like showing off almost like that's what I'm watching. I can't take that too much to heart, but whenever I get down and I'll, I'll be frank, I'll, I'll get down on myself watching some of these drummers, but you got to channel that into inspiration to practice and get better. And that's where I'm at at this point. Like I'll have like a day off of work from the bar and go to my drum room and like watch some videos and like get pumped up and I'll, ch- I'll like channel that shit to like give myself some energy to go for it. And it's kind of like a routine I have now, like before I'm about to go sit down for like a serious drum session, I'll spend like 20, 30 minutes on my phone on YouTube or Instagram watching these Instagram drummers or YouTube drummers or live videos from Deftones. And it'll like give me like this kind of amount of like confidence. Like, yeah, I'm going to, I want to be like that almost, you know? Yeah, sure. Well, that's I, a good tool to use. Yeah. And I think that's the cool thing about the drumming community and people that listen to this podcast all the time know exactly what I'm about to say, but I have never watched another drummer ever, no matter their ability, skill level, anything that I didn't steal something from them. Right. Like something that they do, I will incorporate into my own playing and it's how you expand that vocabulary. Um, that's what's cool 100%. about hundred percent. That's what's so cool about our community um, is you can always learn something from somebody else. Even if they just picked up sticks yesterday, they will make you think about your own playing in a different light. And I love that. It's amazing. It, it really is. So, Um, you know, as we're, you know, I want to be respectful of your time as we're getting near the end of our interview here, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you at least about gear. You know, we have a lot of gearheads that, that listen to the show. Um, what kind of stuff are you playing on these days and are those formal relationships or, or not quite yet? Uh, no formal relationships yet. That is something in my younger years. I like really, really thought like solidified you as like a pro drummer or successful drummers if you had endorsements with people. And I've stepped back from that a lot and just focused on being a great player and a good person and things will come your way. So that's where my head's been at for the past five or six years, but I'm a die hard uh, Zildjian cymbal guy. I've only owned Zildjian from the get go. I've, 
kind of tried other stuff or I've had to play on other cymbals on tour with like limited changeover times. And I have a giant collection of Zildjian's. If I could pick one endorsement to get, it'd be them. But it's one of those things I'd, I'd want it to happen organically. I want to, for one, give a company something to offer. Sure. And that's kind of hard to do unless you're in a giant band or have a giant Instagram following or, or something like that where you can give them something back. But I'm a big, big Zildjian guy. I've only played uh, Remo drum heads. I know them super well. I've tried others and it, they just didn't seem consistent to me, but uh, I'm a big uh, Remo guy. With sticks, I've kind of been bouncing around. It's one of those things. Um, I've land. I have them in front of me right now. I have Vader, Los Angeles Five A's in front of me. Mm-hmm. They're kind of longer. They have a very short taper to them. And um, this is the first time I ever sized down. I used to play like big beefy tree trunk sticks for the longest time ever. And um, I was watching a buddy of mine play at a show, and he's like, "Check these sticks out. I got these because." I realized my sticks were too heavy. I got lighter sticks and I realized I played faster. So I went and got smaller sticks and it like blew my mind. I was like, Whoa. Yeah. I I feel like I've been playing with marching band sticks this whole time. So I've been with, I've been playing Vader for a minute. I have favorites from Promark and Vic Firth as well, but these sticks say Los Angeles on them and that's where I'm born and bred. So I've been kind of sticking with these for a bit. Right. On. I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to fix it unless it's broke. These have been working for me. So I've been playing those. Yeah. When it comes to kits, I have a, I have a, I have several, I have a, a custom CNC kit. I got early in the Sea Haven drum career. I sold everything based guitar related I had and was sitting on a couple grand and just blew it on a custom kit. And it's my baby. I've retired it from the road. It's uh, in, in its cases in storage. And I just recently acquired a really, really cool piece of drum history. I have a PV RBS one. Have oh. you heard of these? Oh yeah, man, the radial bridge. And I was going to ask because, yeah. because I saw the Tom in one of the videos and I was like, Man, that's one of the old PV radial bridge kits. You noticed? I did. Oh, so cool, man. I've been wanting one of those for so, so long. There was a drum shop near my parents' house where I grew up, and he had, like, old subscriptions to drum magazines. And I remember I, I bought a couple one day and saw those kits and remember thinking, like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, it, clear, clearly, it doesn't, it doesn't look normal. And I did some research on it and realized like the technology behind it. And I had never seen one in person. I see no current drummers playing it today. They're hard as hell to find. And I've been looking on reverb a couple times a month consistently for years now until about a month ago, I saw a full kit put up in LA for like 2,800 bucks, which is pretty steep. But I was like, shit, this is it. Well, this is what it's about. I've been wanting one of these for a long time. Went out and got it, and it blew my mind. Uh, the responsiveness of these shells and the tuning capabilities, and they just look cool as hell to me. So that's been like my new baby. I've been tinkering with, and I just recently, like right before I shot those videos that you saw the playthroughs of some of our songs, I finally found like the sweet spot I like, and I like to keep the toms really low. Yeah, and they resonate really well because the shells of the PV RBSs are so, so, so thin. They get a lot of response even when hit lightly. 
So they're super versatile like that. And that's been my new baby. And um, another part of it is cool is nobody plays these kits anymore. Like they're hard to find. Nobody knows what the hell they are. And I, I think that's cool. Yeah, well, they didn't make too many of them. I mean, I think, you know, and I, not to put too fine a point on it, but PV, you know, everybody kind of when they hear that name, they equate it to like PA equipment and guitar amps and, and things like that. And, you know, they're headquartered in the South. They're I think they're headquartered in Mississippi, actually, uh, is where, you know, PV grew up. But uh, they got into the drum game in the late 80s, early 90s, and they didn't last long, but for those of you that don't know what a PV drum set looks like, the, the shells are, I mean, not much thicker than, than a piece of, um, you know, poster board. I mean, they're very thin, but then the, what you would traditionally call the, the reinforcement rings are on the outside of the shell. And they're, so they're very unique looking, um, but Eric explained it great. They just ring for days, for days and days. Um, very hard to find, but I did notice that, and I, I had to ask. I'm I'm really happy you did when we cut those videos. Of small part of me was kind of sad. I was like, shit. I wish you could see more of the kit, so like people who know would go like, oh, kudos! Like he's got one of those. So um, of course, the guy who played in the '90s, like you did, like you know exactly what those are. So um. Yeah. You just made my day. Tell yeah, me you know what the PDRBS ones are. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of, um, I, you know, I don't know how to explain it. The reason you don't see people playing them is because they stopped making them, you know, 25 years ago or so. And, you know, it's just one of those pieces of drumming gear history that people forget about, you know, if it's not around. But those that know, know. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah, it's really cool piece of vintage gear you got there. Um, well, Eric, as is our tradition here on the Drum Shuffle, we always wrap up by asking for a good piece of advice. This has been an awesome, epic drum hang. I have loved learning a little bit more about you and Sea Haven, and we've got to do this again. We've got to have you back for a part two because I've had a great time, but instill with us, you know, a, a good piece of advice that other drummers can take out there in their day-to-day -day life. Absolutely. And I touched on this earlier and it's a piece of information I was told a lot growing up and I gravely ignored for a long time, practice your rudiments. <laughs> and you don't even got to, you don't got to get that crazy. Singles, doubles, paradiddles even for 10 minutes a day, just sit back. And a trick I do is I put on TV, I put on Netflix, like a really easy going show. I turn it really low. I have a metronome. I have my three tempos. I have my warm up tempo. I have my like going pretty fast. Don't want to push it too much tempo. Then I have an all out tempo that I can't play perfectly, but it's the next step I want to get to. And I guarantee you, drummers out there listening, if you spend 10, 15 minutes a day after you brush your teeth while the coffee's brewing, sit down with your sticks, put on a metronome, and just get some sticks in your hand and work on those basics, singles, doubles, paradiddles, and grow from there. And if you're anything like me, it's probably going to start out frustrating. You're probably not going to like it. Then as you see progress go by, you're going to start to love it to the point where I love doing rudiments. I never thought I'd say that, but... 
It is such a fun thing for me to do right now. As soon as I hang up with you, I have a little hour sheet I'm going to go through and work on some stuff just because it's my rudiment day. And uh, that's what I got to say about playing. Of course, getting on the kit is a big important thing as well, but it really starts with the basics, singles, doubles, paradiddles. And then anybody looking to tour, uh, if you're not – if you're not in a in a group of like homies like uh, me and Jamie have been talking about this whole time, that's not like a needed thing. We were just kind of boasting about something we're proud of of playing music with our brothers growing up. But play with as many people as you can. The more people you play with, the more you'll learn. And uh, yeah, that's point number two. Play with as many musicians as you can. And the third one we've already talked about, I'd say, is uh, be reliable be on time, be a good person, be open-minded. Uh, it's not all about you as much as you might think it is. Uh, you're a drummer in a band, a band is a collective. You are one moving part of a big machine. Uh, take it seriously. Again, be on time, be a good person. And uh, if you follow those three things I talked about, in time I can see some success coming out of drumming. If you do your damn rudiments, and you show up on time and you play with as many people as you can in time, you will, you will find yourself in a place. I guarantee you're happy. Yeah, man. That's, that's the juice right there. That's I, great. Great I advice. Hope that's okay. No, no, no. That's, that's fantastic, <laughs> man. That's great advice. And you know, I, I'll just say this, man, some of the world's greatest drummers that I've been so lucky and, and I'm so grateful have been on this show with me. I mean, the household name guys, they all say pretty much the same thing. You know, it's like, just be a awesome. good, be a good person, practice hard, push yourself, you know, but it, it's our community is made up of people that know that to be successful, you've got to do certain things. And it's always good advice to remind people of what those certain things are. So great advice. Um, Eric, real quick, before we let you go. For anybody out there that wants to get more information on Sea Haven, on you, give us the, the websites, the Instagram handles, give us all the contact information so folks can go look you guys up. Okay. Um, Miko Drums on Instagram is where I'm most active. It's M-I-K-O-E-R-U-M-S. Um, I love DMs. Anybody got questions on how to practice or problems they're having? please let me know. I, I love, love drum talk. Obviously we've been ranting it up on the phone for the past hour and a half, but uh, you can hit me up there. Uh, MikoDrums.com is my website. If you want to see something more formal and go on Spotify or wherever you listen to music and type in Sea Haven and check out our new record, Halo of Hurt. Fantastic, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, you know, this is going to, going to drop uh, after the first of the year, but I will go ahead and wish you a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and all that good stuff. But uh, we got to do this again, brother. Absolutely, man. And uh, best wishes to you as well. All right. Thanks, Eric. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jamie. All right. See you. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 121 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. Uh, as I say to you each and every episode, thank you so much for tuning in. We, we sincerely appreciate it, and we can't do it without each and every one of you doing so week in and week out. 
As I also ask of you every single episode, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen to the drum shuffle. Quick reminder that every episode does also go out to YouTube. Uh, so if you prefer to consume your podcast that way, we are available on that service as well. Leave us a rating, a review, a thumbs up, a star, whatever you can do to help spread the word of the Drum Shuffle podcast. We sincerely appreciate. As always, we answer every single email that we get here at the Drum Shuffle podcast. Our email address is thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And you can always find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. 2021 is going to be a great year for us here at the Drum Shuffle. We are uh, constantly working on bringing you great guests. Uh, that is no exception for this year. We're going to have some really big names from the drumming industry on the show this year. We're working on some really, really special guests to be on the show this year. So I hope you'll hang with us. The biggest thing you can do to help us is spread the word, share a link with a friend, tell somebody about our podcast. We sincerely appreciate those efforts. Again, Happy New Year to everybody. And until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.